Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, boldly he states this, to God's elect, you and I, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling of his blood. There is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right there. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, everything he just told you about, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they now have been told you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have been by those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven even the angels long to look into these things therefore and why do we say therefore why is therefore therefore to go back to see why it's therefore get it the reason there's a therefore is so you go back and see why it's therefore, because it's just now culminating in, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is a word that was preached to you. The word of the Lord stands forever, right? We'll be having quiet time in heaven. You know that, right? We'll be having quiet time, right? Because the word of the Lord's going to stand forever, right? You're falling in love with reading the word of God right now? You'll be reading the word of God even with Jesus in, in right there. You'll be like falling in love with him because it's who he is. It's who he is. It's his word. That's how precious it is right now to us. Right now to us. Because he spoke it and it's true. Just like he spoke creation and it was true. So, I mean, it... That's how sweet it is, okay? So, we ended up in verse 9-ish, 9-ish, okay? Because what we were, had been ta- talking about, the week before we adjourned last week, I was sharing about who we are in Christ. Remember, we went through and we had a real interactive time about who we are in Christ, right? And all those verses that we looked up, sort of like, not the I am's in Christ, but but who we are in Christ. So, so when... When we feel a certain way, or when we're being, when we're being um, walking by our feelings, when 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 some something or someone 
has upended us or bothers us, we, we tend to then walk by our feelings and the, the Spirit says, no, 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 look at all who you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit that lives in you, right? Look who you are in Christ. And so we were going through many, many verses about who we are in Christ. So if we feel we're not loved, he says, no, 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 see, see, you're loved with an everlasting love, okay? And so we had gone through that because I wanted you to see who we are in Christ as we go through this. So we're going to jump forward now to, uh, or I guess go back, I should say, to just a little review view on those purpose of the trials uh, for us who are born again. In verses 6 through 9, I'm just going to quickly review this. We are rejoicing, we are especially rejoicing, if you look in verses 6 through 9, in God's keeping power when we are grieved in various trials, okay? And remember how we talked about this, knowing that we're being tested by fire, right? As we're being tested by fire, okay? And it says, if need be, in the Revised Standard Version, it says that you have been grieved. When you go through trials, remember we shared, it's not like you're going through a trial as superwoman, right? Go ahead, you know, nothing can bother me. You know, you're like superwoman Christian. That's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying, if need be, you have been grieved, okay? I think... You know, we've talked about sometimes we think that Christians imagine that trials and temptations, you know, are a present lot, that there's nothing that we can, you know, do about them, yet yet the true, strong, superwoman Christian, you know, wouldn't be grieved in a trial. You know, we would absolutely just walk through it unscathed, okay? And and he's saying, you know what he says that the grieving is even purposeful. The grieving is even purposeful. That's what I think is so sweet, right? He allows, he allows trials in our life, right? So we can be conformed to the likeness of his son, right? He continues to say, come on, go this way, Margo. Come on, what? Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And then he says, and guess what? I'm even going to use the grieving part. How sweet is that, okay? Because the grieving itself is being used. God has not only a purpose for the trial we, we learned, but he has a purpose for the grieving. For the purpose for the grieving, okay? And remember, everything that happens to us happens to us for our good and his glory. Everything. Everything that happens, right? Everything happens to us. It's always for our good and for his glory because that's who he is. Okay? That's who he is. He can't do anything else but. So as we're walking through this, um, just like when in Hebrews 13, I believe, when he said, you know, but, but for the glory before him. Right? He endured the cross. Right? That's what he did. He endured the cross. But for the glory set before him. He endured the cross. And we walk like that as we go through our trials, okay? And so he said there are various trials. That means there are various trials. It means literally, in the Greek, it meant like many different colors. Your trial could be different than my trial. You know, your trial, all different kinds of trials, various colors, okay? Like, in fact, when I was studying it, it said something like the skin of a leopard, where it's just all different kinds of trials. And, and let's say you and I, Linda, went through the same type of trial, but it would affect me differently because of my frame of reference that I come to with that trial. And so he knows how he's taking us through that and, and us being conformed to the likeness of his son. All right? So then he says, as you're going through the trial, our faith is being tested as by what? Fire, right? As by fire, okay? Now, remember, our faith isn't tested by God because he's trying to figure out how much faith you have, right? God is omniscient. God knows how much faith you have. God gave you a measure of faith when you were born again, and then it's, we continue to grow up in our faith as we keep walking with him, right? Okay, so he doesn't go, hmm, let's see how much faith Nicole has. Okay, go. Okay, let's see. You're right. I mean, he doesn't do that so he can find out. He does that so who can find out? We can find out, remember? So that we can find out how much faith we have, okay? And then what he does is he absolutely puts our faith on display. Our enduring faith he puts on display for others to see so that they can see, you know, that you are an abnormal, peculiar person in this world because why are you walking through this trial not like happy and cranking, but you're walking with this enduring, inexpressible joy because of who you are in Christ Jesus. And it brings people to Christ. It brings people to Christ. 
time and time and time again, okay? And so he says that our faith is much more precious than what? What? Than gold. Than gold. Much more precious than gold, okay? Because, because gold you know, will perish even though it's an extremely precious, precious um, metal and it's tested and purified by fire, gold is, remember? And so he says, how much more is your faith than this precious gold is? And how sweet is that? That our faith is so much more precious, right? It says it's impossible to please him without faith. So it's great and important purpose in testing our faith. All right, and so, and so as our faith is being tested, our faith then grows up, right? Our strength of our faith grows up. Our faith gets stronger, okay? So we all want to have more faith, don't we? I mean, it's always like, Lord, you know, oh, ye little faith, Lord, grow my faith. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, Margo. You know, but I mean, he, but he's not going to go wham, you got the flu, right? You got this. He doesn't do that. He goes, okay, great. Absolutely. That's your desire? Let's walk this way. Let's walk this way together. And you can see how your faith is strengthened as he takes you, you know, in and out and around the corner and underneath and this, this, and you can just see it. Every, I mean, it doesn't have to be huge trials, it's just in living in the fallen world. Because there's enough just in the fallen world for us to have to walk by faith. Okay? So, and at the end he says then, then receiving the end of your faith, okay, which is the return of whom? Jesus, right. And the ultimate salvation of your souls. Remember, we're saved. We were born again. We asked Jesus to come into our heart, forgive our sins. And then we continue being saved today and tomorrow. And the next day, the next day, and you're being saved, 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 until the ultimate return of Jesus, that's the ultimate salvation of your souls, where we have a faith that, you know, our, that our inheritance is, what? Incorruptible. Imperishable. It's in heaven. It will never, ever, ever go away. We will continue walking, not by faith anymore, but by our eyes, because our eyes will see Jesus, right? Who is the author and finisher of our faith, okay? So that's why he says, the ultimate salvation of your souls, okay? So the testing and trials are inevitable as long as we are on this side of the end of our faith, right? Okay? And then when we're on the other side, when we're in heaven, no more. Can I hear a hallelujah for that? Yeah! Woo! No more! No more, right? And the resurrected body? Oh yeah, happy dance. Oh yeah, how cool is that going to be? Alright, alright. And then he says, I love how he says this. Because remember, Peter saw Jesus as he walked with him before he went to the cross, because he was an apostle, right? Walked with him, disciple of Jesus Christ, right? Second one chosen. And then he saw Peter when? I'm sorry, then he saw Jesus when? After he was resurrected, right? Walking along with him on the beach, Right? Making a little fun. Jesus and he talking, right? And Jesus restores him. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So he saw him before and after the resurrection. And he says to all of these sweet believers and to us, he says, whom having not seen you love. Right? Because we haven't seen him and we love him to pieces. Okay? And, and Peter knew that, though he had seen Jesus both before and after the resurrection, that most of the Christians in the early church had not seen Jesus. And of course, we, in the post, you know, in the church age, have not seen Jesus. Okay? Other than through our eyes of faith. Okay? And so that doesn't mean that Jesus was. was just because we haven't seen him literally doesn't mean that uh, he isn't all the more real. And that's why he's saying, you know what, you love him even though you haven't seen him, okay? And so when he says that, there becomes this joy inexpressible because you're so in love with him and, and it's a joy so profound that you, you can't even put words to it. That's why it's joy inexpressible. Right? That you can't even put words into it. You know, the only thing that I can liken that to is, you know, I had, I had, 
I was pregnant until like five and a half months and then my baby died in my womb and then I stillborn her and then another baby was four months along and then she died as well. And then God gave me uh, Becca and we were at her birth and then uh, Tori, we were in Guatemala when she was five months old. And the only thing that I can, uh, that I can maybe, you know how you try to put your finite mind around the infinite? You know, around is that joy inexpressible when you don't have any words? Is perhaps in birth, when when you have this baby, or in adoption, when this baby, and you just you you're 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 so overwhelmed, you can't even. It's joy inexpressible. You you're just because you you cannot believe that it's. I mean. You know, in our BSL on Wednesday, uh, one of our ladies, Debbie, and her daughter had been coming, had been coming, Amy, and Amy just had her baby, and you know, she was so excited, eight pounds six ounces, and Amy's just this little tiny thing, and twenty-one inches, yeah, and just sharing, 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 and you know, I saw the picture, and I mean, you you can't even utter the words of seeing this creation. That really you had nothing to do with other than housing. Right? I mean, that's how God made you, right? You're, you made us to house, okay? Or birth mom for me, right? To house this child, okay? And, and how God arranged that, you know, that, that, that this sperm and egg would meet and turn into us. It's 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 mind blowing, and then to think that this baby is born, it's it's joy inexpressible. You you just you can't believe that you're holding this this baby, and and so it's when I read this, you know, I, I think about how he says that that joy it's a, it's a joy so profound that it's beyond the power of words to express. You just can't. I mean, you just sit there and like <laughs> look. And you sit there and look, and and it's it's no ordinary earth-born joy. It's 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 his joy in your heart, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about how how as you are walking through these trials and becoming more like me, and your faith is being tested, and this is going on, this is this, and guess what? That's to the point where your joy is inexpressible because you're becoming more and more like me. And then he goes on to, in verses 10 through 12, if you look at your Bibles in 10 through 12, where he's talking about the prior revelation of the salvation that was experienced by the Christians. In other words, it was important to Peter when he says, of this salvation, in 10, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Now he's just sharing about, about born again. And he says, okay, it's important to Peter and all the New Testament writers to demonstrate that their teaching was no novelty. At this point, this isn't like some novel teaching, okay? This was testified beforehand, beforehand by the prophets, okay? The prophets, Old Testament, right? Testified by the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. Testified by the prophets. And understanding this made salvation so much greater in the mind of of Peter's Readers, because you know, they were afflicted readers. Remember, now they're strangers because they've come to Christ. Now they've gone back to their own homelands and they feel alone. They feel alone. And he says, no, you know what? Oh my goodness. The prophets have inquired and searched this carefully. I mean, this is how important your salvation is. I mean, you have everything because you have Christ. You have everything that you need for life and for death, forever and ever and ever, because you have Christ. You might feel alone. You might feel like you're back there. Faith is not a feeling. Faith that grows up, that's tested by fire, more precious than gold to Jesus. And he says, no, no, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as you're afflicted by demonstrating the importance of that comprehensive grandeur of salvation. That you know, Christ has come. Christ has come, and quite frankly, they were fe- they were feeling afflicted because of that. Okay, and he said that he prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Grace. What does that mean? Grace. What does it mean? God's what? Undeserved what? Favor. God's undeserved favor. Oh, you can spell out G R A C E. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Okay? God's riches at Christ's expense is grace. Okay? That's undeserved favor on us. Unmerited favor. Okay? And the prophets of the Old Testament... All right, that he's talking about, all right? Long to see exactly the grace of the new covenant to come. There was the old covenant, right, with the sacrifices and what they needed to do and follow exactly for the covering and for the forgiveness of sin, right? And then Jesus, new covenant, once and for all. Once and for all, he died for us, okay? And so that they were prophesied of the grace, God's undeserved favor that would come to you, okay? Prophesying by the Spirit, Right? Holy Spirit, okay. They knew something of his sufferings. They knew something of his glories. But far less than they longed to know. They longed to know much more. The prophets did, right? Okay. And I was, when, I think I had shared this with you before, but um, imagine how excited Isaiah, okay, remember now, Isaiah is now, I've been gone a while. Okay, remember the word of God stands forever, right? Forever. Forever and ever and ever. So the word of God will be in heaven, right? Imagine Isaiah, how excited he would be to read the gospel of John. Right? Think about it. Isaiah, who prophesied all through Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53, right? Telling all about what Christ is going to look like, the Messiah is coming, and this and that, and, and right? For unto us the child is born, unto us the son is given, and his name shall be called, right? And meanwhile, Isaiah through the Holy Spirit, is prophesying all this. And now, he's in heaven, and he reads John 3. Oh, yeah! Okay, I mean, I realize that all of it becomes, you know, he'll be like Jesus when we're there. So it, he knows that. But imagine him sitting and reading the book of John, the Gospel of John, okay? Because the Old Testament, because the Old, the Old Testament prophets knew so much, yet much was hidden from them. They knew so much of what God told them to tell, to prophesy. And all of it, of course, we know has all been proven, all been true, because we're on this side of it. Okay? But much was hidden from them. In fact, the, uh, the, the character of the church was hidden from them. Ephesians 3, 4, and 6, it was hidden from them. In fact, you know, why don't you look that up? Ephesians 3... Four and six, four through six, that was hidden from them. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body okay so it was hidden to them including the character of the church which we just read okay and if we go to second Timothy 1:10 zoom over to second Timothy 1:10 the very essence of life and immortality as well was hidden from them second uh, Timothy 1.10 But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay? Before, it had not been appeared. It had not appeared. The very essence of life and immortality was not, was hidden. It was mysterious until Christ came. Okay? And so, that's why I said, imagine Isaiah just opening the book of John and reading this, right? Everything that he had talked about, okay? So, to them it was revealed, okay? Uh, and then and then Peter goes on to say, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us their ministry. In other words, the prophets didn't receive all this from the Holy Spirit just for themselves, right? And to keep it locked under lock and key or just that, so they're like big time prophet, Right? No. They received it so that they can what? Pass it on. So they would pass it on. Okay? So they're ministering to us. For us, for the people who will come after. They're ministering to us. Okay? The prophets understood that they were ministering to us. Okay? To people beyond them. To us now. Thousands of years later. Okay? As well as to people in their own day. 
They were, you know, warning and, and, and heeding and, and yield this or, and do this kind of stuff to, to show them the way, people in their own day, but they're ministering to us thousands of years later, to the church age, okay? And so these prophets predicted... Um, their predictions were then reported, okay, as facts by the apostles. Okay? Old Testament predictions, prophesying, okay? New Testament reported by the disciples as fact. This has happened. I have seen this. This has come to be. This is true. I mean, every single thing that New Testament reveals the Old Testament. Okay? Over and over and over again. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so he's saying that the apostles, you know, have now reported it as facts. Right? And, and he says, the Word of God is the complete revelation of God. It's done. From the prophets to the apostles, complete revelation of God. That's it. If you read this, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed, right? So you don't take away from it. You don't add to it. There's the prophets. Then there's the apostles. And he says, these are the things. I think this is verse, I forget what verse we're in here now. But these are the things which have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. Okay? Because the Old Testament, the prophets, because we know who, meaning Jesus, and when meaning Jesus' day, of these Old Testament prophecies, okay? They should be far more of interest to us than they were even in the day of the prophets, right? Okay? Far more of interest to us. And then he ends with saying, these things which the angels, what? Certainly what? Look into, right? They desire to look into. The angels desire to look into this. The unfolding of God's eternal plan Okay, now you guys remember, angels are created beings that God created, all right? Created beings. They're not human. They are created beings. They're all men, you know. They're not women. They're not little fat cherubs. You know this. Okay? Valentine's Day and the little girls flying around, that's not an angel. Archangel Michael and Gabriel, whoo, scary guys. Nice, beautiful, but scary. And, you know, big and, 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 you know, and, and incredible imposing. And every time, I am sure they had to go to angel school. Because every time they'd appear someone, they'd say, oh, don't be afraid. You know, any time the angel's talking to somebody, don't be afraid. God has sent me. I mean, can you imagine these poor angels? They're talking to you. we're going to go see Mary. She'd be scared out of her wits. (laughs) Okay, Jesus said, I mean, God said, remember, remember what you do. You tell her, don't be afraid. God sent me. Okay? Every single time, these big old angels have to do this. So, So, the angels... Right, look into it, and they look into um, the salvation because they don't need salvation, and they look into that and they observe our conduct. Okay, angels are observing our conduct. Right in First Corinthians four nine, go there. I want you to 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 back up and look at that again. First Corinthians four nine. They observe our conduct. Our conduct. 4 9, which says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We have been made a spectacle to the whole, what? Universe, to angels. To angels as well as men. They are observing us, okay? They are not understanding that it has not been revealed to them until the whole complete salvation when we are all together, okay, in heaven, and then there'll be a new heaven and new earth. Then it's revealed. That's the complete salvation, okay? Until then, we're just in God's waiting room, right? Becoming more and more like Him, okay? And so. He says, you know, the angels desire to look into. They observe our conduct, okay? And then if you look into, go to 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10. 11 and verse 10. Let me see. So it makes it necessary that Christians conduct themselves properly. 
For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In other words, in other words, what, I'm, what he's sharing here is it's making it necessary that Christians conduct themselves properly because not only, you know, is... Remember how you say to your kids and everything, well, you know, you know Jesus sees everything, right? I mean, you know, you can sit in the dark. Your character is who you are all alone in the dark, right? Jesus sees everything, okay? Well, the angels are observing our conduct as well. Okay, I remember, do you guys remember that uh, old test that they did with some little kids and they had them in a room like this, just one kid, and they had marshmallows. Do you remember this test? They had marshmallows and they'd go in and say, look, if you don't touch this marshmallow, uh, you know, for like, I mean, it was like, Two minutes, but it seems like forever, right? For two minutes, then you will not only get this marshmallow, but you will get this chocolate marshmallow with some ice cream. They will show him that, okay, or her that, right? You guys, it is hysterical to see. Then, of course, they had it videotaped, and they would have the marshmallow, and the kid would be like, <laughs> you know, maybe just take a little tiny bite, push it away, come back to it, look at it. Then a couple of the kids were like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just, it's so human nature, right? It's, it's, it's who you are when you think nobody's looking, right? When nobody's looking. But as that little kid thinks nobody's looking right there, there's always a video monitor going on, right? And it's not Big Brother watching over you. It's Jesus, right? It's the angels. It's how's your conduct. Right? He wants us to be more and more like him and less like our putrid selves. I remember one kid, one kid, I love this. He looked, nobody's in the room. He sat there, he, I'm sure he had to be an engineer kid. He was like, these kids were all like three, four, or five. He sat like this. He looked at it and he goes, I'm not touching you. <laughs> I don't care what you say. He was like, I'm not touching, no. I'm getting the ice cream. Ice cream and the thing. Uh-uh. I'm not, and he kept telling, you know what? That's what we're to do with temptation. Right? What a kid. You already have decided, nope, I'm waiting for the good that God has for me. Right? You say, nope, nope, nope. Instead of, instead of allowing yourself to be sucked in, tempted, coddled, pick a little bit off, right? Oh, this once won't just hurt, right? That's not what it is at all. Immediately, before it even happens, you say, mm-mm, this is nothing. You know what? I am not going to this. I am not choosing that. I'm not sinning this. I'm not doing You've already decided here. That little kid already decided here and here. He ain't going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm waiting for the good, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? And that kid was waiting for it, right? And it was just such a great analogy because, because angels are watching her conduct. Jesus is watching our conduct. And you know what they're doing? They're cheering us. You can do this. That's good. Listen to me. That way. That's it. That's it. They don't want you to fail. They want you to succeed. They want you to succeed. I mean, if you read in Psalms, all through, I think it's, is it Psalm 91 and 92 about angels? I mean, it's just, it's amazing. They want you to succeed. And so, and so, um, when part of God's eternal purpose is to show his wisdom through angelic beings, through his work with the church, okay? God wants the angels to look on on what he is doing in the church. Body Christ. He wants them to look on, to see what's going on, okay? And the idea is that the angels are bending over heaven with intense interest because they want to learn what's going on. Isn't that great? Right? And we're made just a little lower than the angels, but they're like all wanting to be like us. Right? I mean, they're like, what's the deal? Jesus died for these guys. What is it about that? Right? I love that. I love when we're in heaven someday, it's going to be a hoot. Right? Being able to share with them. Okay? So, they desire to see and learn. Okay? They have that intense craving to learn. And that yearning never comes to comprehension until salvation is complete and we are all together in heaven. It's never complete. That's why they desire to look into this all the time. They are yearning, okay? And so the angels are trying to comprehend more of the mystery of human salvation because they know nothing of it. There was no salvation for them. There didn't need to be. They are created beings. 
if they have this holy curiosity watching us and looking at us. And as we are becoming more and more like Christ and fuller realization of Christ in our lives, okay, throughout the history of church, throughout the history of the church age, church age started when Jesus left and went to heaven. Left and went to heaven, and the Holy Spirit came. Okay? That's when the church age then started. And we have been in the church age until he comes back to get us. Okay? Or until we go home. So, we are being watched. I don't know. What does that do to you? What does that do to you? Does that, does that like, excite you? Does that um, freak you out? Does that... Uh, uh, make you nervous? What, what does that do to you? I mean, we all know that God's, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, all, you know, sees everything, but the angels are observing your conduct. What does that do? Okay? Supernatural world, the unseen, okay, is eagerly observing God's program of human redemption. That's what they're observing. They are observing God's incredible why would he do this? Whoa! These human beings are something else. Whoa, does God love them? Wow! Christ came to... They're observing the human absolutely redemption that God God put... that His program instilled through Jesus Christ, okay? And, and um, in Luke 15, I believe it is, where you see, you know... The concept is grounded in Jesus' words when he says, Angels rejoice over one repentant sinner. Right? Angels rejoiced over one repentant sinner. In 1 Timothy 
Here's how you should live. Then live this way. He says, therefore, gird up. I love he says this in the King James. Gird up the loins of your mind, okay? Gird up the loins of your mind, okay? In other words, when they used to run, right? They used to wear the long, the long robes, okay? They would have to pull them up and tuck them into their belt, okay? That's what they would do. They'd gird them up, tuck them into their belt as they're going to run. Otherwise, they're going to do what? They're going to trip, okay? And so he's making an analogy here. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Bring them together, gather them up, okay? Live the way God wants you to live so that you can run the race. Continue to live it, okay? Gird up the loins of your mind, okay? So it's, it's like preparing for action, okay? It's like, it's like rolling up your sleeves, okay? It's like getting ready, okay? And then he says in King James, be sober, be sober, okay? Which means to have the ability to take a serious look at this life that you're running. Be sober. Gird up. Take action. Be sober, okay? Get rid of loose, sloppy thinking, right? Gird yourselves up. Bring rational and reflective powers of your mind under control, under Christ, okay? It means that you control what you think about. Okay, you control what you think about. You decide what you're going to set your mind upon. Just like that little kid with that, with that uh, marshmallow. He decided, uh-uh. I'm not going to have you. I'm going to wait. He decided. He girded up. He girded up his mind. He girded up like loin to be able to absolutely not have sloppy thinking because when you have sloppy and loose thinking, what's going to happen to you? you're going to fall off the edge. Right? Just like you're driving, you got sloppy and loose driving, you're going to go over the shoulder. Man, you got sloppy and loose thinking, you're going to yield to stuff. Somebody's going to say something. It's going to look a little, you know, because sin looks a little nice at times, right? It looks it looks pretty nice at times. And, and, oh, you know, just this once or this, right? And so you start thinking sloppy and loose and you don't keep your mind self-controlled and action and alert and absolutely keep it under control, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus from Philippians, right? He expects us because what we think a thought becomes an action an action becomes a habit a habit becomes your character character becomes your destiny that's how it happens right out of the overflow of your heart your mouth speaks okay so you first have to think it before it's so my, my kids used to say oh mom I accidentally sinned <laughs> I, I accidentally sinned, Mom. Unbelievable. She's just, she's just this, I can say this to have an adopted kid. She's just this brilliant, big concept, out there kid. I mean, and, and she, at three and a half, Mom, I accidentally sinned. I'm like, hon, you can't accidentally sin. Let's go look at Luke. Luke says that, you know, you first have to think it before you can say it. Oh, I'll never forget a little cute face, big blonde hair, big blue eyes. Like she was so bummed. She she thought, you know, oh I you know I'm like, you can't. You can't because it's out of the overflow of your heart. Oh yeah, okay. She roars now at that. I'm, and I'll look at her and say, Would well, you, you just accidentally sin? You know, she's sixteen now, right? She's like, No, can't do that, Mom. I'm like, No, you choose it. You choose your sin. Right? You choose your sin. I used to come alongside him and say, What are you doing right now? I choose it wrong, Mama. <laughs> That's right, you are choosing wrong. Let's stop then. What's the right thing to do? Sit down and not run around. Right. Because why? Because I get hurt or I hurt somebody or I spill plates. Right. So let's choose right then. Okay. Right. Right. Always instilling in them their choice. Their choosing. That takes me out of the equation. Doesn't make me the bad mom, good mom. Instead of saying, sit down, look what you're doing right now. Right. Then it's, they're mad at me. I would just wait for them. I'd get real low. What's you choosing right now? I did the wrong mama. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does to us. What you doing right now, Margo? And the sweetest thing is, is when you say, I'm choosing wrong right now. That's sweet. You know how sweet that was to mom to hear her say, I'm choosing wrong right now, mama. What if she wouldn't have said that? What are you choosing right now, hon? Get out of my way, 
Now there's a problem. But when she immediately, I'm choosing wrong, Mom. That's the same thing. That's that soft heart, that teachable heart, that's that mind that you're continually wanting to gird up for action, that self-control. Because your actions, what we think becomes action, our action becomes habit, our habits become character, our character becomes our destiny. And it happens time and time and time again. And what happens is when we have sloppy reasoning, we have loose reasoning, we rationalize. We rationalize. And I tell my kids now, what we always talk, I'll say, you guys, I'll say it even now. What are you choosing right now, guys? I mean, sounds to me like you might be, we've had numerous talks. Yeah, I'm rationalizing, Mom. You're rationalizing. Okay, the second you start rationalizing, when you go, well, you know, I mean, it can't be that bad. Or, you know, but you start that sloppy and loose thinking. Okay, and you're going, well, you know, this, this, or, or just this once, all that kind of stuff, right? That's sloppy and loose thinking. And I'll say, the second you start rationalizing, you're going down. You're going down. I mean, you are, it's, going, it's just going to be like this, and the Lord's a gentleman, he'll say, I'm waiting for you, it's great, look, I've got you, I still am holding on to your hand, you know, I'm right here, I've never moved, but you're now walking away from me because you're rationalizing. You're rationalizing. And, and, <laughs> it, it, when we do that, well, whatever, you know, those all whatevers kind of stuff, you guys, th- that's rationalizing. Our thinking needs to be based on truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth. Truth isn't a person. Truth is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, okay? Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And, and so you, you have to know what you believe and believe what you know is true. That is girding your mind up. That is girding the loins of your mind up. That's when somebody says, oh, you know, I was thinking maybe we could go do this, and you know that you know that you, you know, shouldn't go or shouldn't watch it or you know there's going to be temptation or whatever it is. And you know what? At that moment, at that moment, you know what you believe and you believe what you know is true. You say, no, you know what? That's just not for me. Right? That's just not for me. Because when, when you allow that rationalization, right? Our Jesus screen at our home is Philippians 4.8. Think on these things. Everything goes through it. Things that are right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on these things. <coughs> Does that TV show go through that Jesus screen? Does this book go through that Jesus screen? Does this edify us? Or are we rationalizing and saying, well, you know, I mean, it's not as bad if you, as if you watch like Desperate Housewives or something. I mean, that's bad. Okay. All right. Do you see what you were saying? That's sloppy and loose thinking. Okay. He doesn't want sloppy and loose. He wants your mind to be the mind of Christ. Okay. And so you gird up. You're, you're ready for self-action. Or for, for, you're ready for action. Okay. And so, and so you allow your Jesus screen to be one that it goes through. Does it go through this? Okay? And in this being sober, that that denotes a condition that's free from mental and spiritual loss of self-control. Okay? Loss of self-control. All right. It's an attitude of self-discipline. When you are sober, it's an attitude of self-discipline that avoids the extremes. Right down the middle. Avoids the extremes. Self-discipline that avoids the extremes. That's what you want to do. You want to be able to indict yourself before anybody else does. Right? You don't want to have to get to the point where your sins will find you out. Where you're caught. Right? Like a little kid. Where they wait till the other shoe falls. Right? Where they're caught in it. Okay? You don't... That, that's not... Peter's going, look, you're past this point. Come on. Be sober. Be vigilant in this. Be, be self-controlled. Be alert. Gird up your loins of your mind. Right? Keep them hemmed in. Right? Right on there. Take your thoughts captive. Right? When it says, is that 2 Corinthians? Take your thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. In other words, you go, no. You know what? That is not what is truth. This is what is truth. And you take your thoughts captive. And you give them over to the Lord time and time and time again, okay? And what happens is you avoid extremes. You avoid extremes. So you can be drunk with the Spirit. 
Okay? In other words, the Spirit is leading you. And you're following the Holy Spirit in you. Okay? And so, so He will lead and take over you if you let Him. If you let Him. And so, He's the one who's doing this through you. Okay? And it says, then that rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, Peter has told us a lot about God's grace. Our, this undeserved favor for us, okay? He greeted us with grace in 1 Peter 1, 2, okay? Grace be unto you, right? With his, with his wonderful greeting, okay? And he told us the grace that's to come in Christ, okay? Predicted by the prophets of old. Just read that in 1 Peter 1, 10. He told us all about that grace. And now he goes further and he says, the grace that, the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus comes back. The grace is going to be brought to us when Jesus comes back. Oh, yeah. Any day, Lord. Come quickly. Any time, right? Do you know that we are hurrying him on, coming, by our obedience, by our sharing with one another, by people coming to Christ through us? Did you know that? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish, right? He wants all to hear. So we are hurrying him on. Did you know that? Isn't that great? Get going. Come on. Get going, right? I mean, he absolutely, you know, when Jesus... When the grace we brought to us, that's when Jesus comes back, okay? And the only way that we'll be able to stand before Jesus on that day is because of what? Unmerited favor. Only because of grace. Only because of undeserved favor, okay? That he gives now and he will give to us then. Because we are new creatures in Christ. Right? We'll come before the pearly gates. Remember all those old jokes, right? St. Peter meets here. Remember all those, right? We'll come before the pearly gates, right? And, and then he asks, well, what are you doing here? Right? And the only answer is, because Jesus. Because Jesus. And Jesus says, oh no, she knows me. She knows me. Let her in. Yes. Grace. Nothing that I could do. Nothing that I could do. Everything that my best friend Jesus did for me, and I accepted that as mine. And he goes, No, Margot, she's in. Yes! Right? Nothing better. Nothing better. When your honey went to heaven, why was he, why isn't he? Because any merit on his own? Oh, no. Jesus said, Oh, no, no. He's mine. You're in. Oh. Undeserved favor. You guys, we deserved should have been squashed by an ant a million times. At least I should have been. I mean, I was the chief... See, Paul was a chief sinner of all sinners. I was the... How do you say it's a girl? Chief sinness? Um, so, I, you know, I, I mean, nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. No, I mean, Brian, when I first met him, didn't think he was. Because he thought he was good enough. Because he was told all his life, well, you're good enough, you're good enough. I mean, you're, I mean, look at you, you're not like this or that and this kind of stuff. Nobody, all of our, all of our righteousness, it says, is as filthy, is as, is as dirty as filthy rags. Menstrual rags, that's what those mean. Menstrual rags, filthy rags. All our righteousness is dirty as filthy rags. Only Jesus. And so when we get before him, he, he gives that unmerited favor to us now. And you'll give it to us then when we arrive, right? Because grace isn't just for the past, right? When we first gave our, gave our lives to Jesus. It wasn't like, okay, good, Karen. You gave your life to me. Okay, that's grace. Now, that's all you get. Okay, that's good, right? Grace isn't just for the past when you came to Christ, right? It's not that. And it's not just for the present, that we're just living in grace now, okay? Where we live each moment, he says in Romans 5, verse 2. He says, we live each moment standing in grace. Romans 5, 2 says we live each moment standing in grace. In other words, you better do a credit check. Because let me tell you something. If we don't live with a grateful heart, realizing that our heart beats, our eyes see, we walk, we're able to get in a car to come here, you know, I mean, it's all because of His grace. We are such dependent creatures. Such dependent creatures, okay? His grace isn't just for the past, it's just not for now. Like Romans 5, 2 says, it's for the future, it's for the absolute future, okay? When grace will be brought to us. When Jesus will come back to get us. When grace is brought to us, okay? So God has just begun to show us the riches of his grace. Woo! He's just begun to show us the riches of his grace. 
Do you realize that? We don't even have a clue what that grace is going to look like in heaven yet. I mean, he says he's prepared stuff we can't even fathom right now. He's just begun showing us the riches of his grace. And when you fall in love with him so much that, that the grace that he gave to you when he took the sins of the world and my sin would have kept him on the cross and you realize that you live in that grateful heart for what he did. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. When he just, his manifold grace shows us there. <coughs> Unbelievable. I mean, he is going to give me guacamole for the rest of my life, Terry. I'm sure that I'm sure. Wow, manifold grace of God. Incredible, okay? Grace, God's unmerited love, right? Unmerited favor, his unmerited love in us, right? Stooping down to save us, stooping down to bless us, okay? And is the source of all those holy gifts that he gives us from his infinite heart. We can't even fathom what he's, you know, even begun to do for us other than fall on our face with a grateful heart and thank him, right? This is where Peter is. He is so excited about sharing the salvation of what Christ has done and how these people have come to Christ, how we have come to Christ, and how we are now to live in that until it is totally revealed when we're in heaven someday. That's living. That's abundant life. That's how we're to live as Christ followers, as Jesus followers. That's it. That's it. That's what he has for us, okay? And in, and in closing, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, okay, as in your ignorance. In other words, we are fulfilling God's call to be obedient. Well, Actually, that's called. It's God's holiness. We are fulfilling God's holiness to be other, to be set apart, okay? To be other, His holiness. We're fulfilling His holiness. God's calling us to holiness, okay? We are fulfilling it as obedient children. That's how we fulfill that, okay? In other words, we're fulfilling God's call to holiness by being obedient children. Okay? By being obedient children. Okay? We break off from the lifestyle of the world. We don't want to be conformed with the world. Remember, we're order the peculiar people. Right? Why are you so peculiar? I love Jesus. Okay. Alright? It's excellent because we are following one who... The character of the world is characterized by lusts and ignorance. Right? They don't know. They're deceived. They're in another playing field still, okay? By lusts, by their wants, right? And ignorance, okay? And so, but he says he's called us to be what? Holy. As he's holy. He's called us to be holy as he's holy. In all of our conduct. In everything we do. In everything that we're thinking. Because it is written, be holy, as it says in Isaiah, for I am holy. Okay, and so many people take that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody can be holy in this because they think it means perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. It means you're set apart for a purpose. You are an incredibly peculiar uh, aroma of Christ that you're set apart for a purpose, for his purpose that he has for you right here on this earth to be set apart to be that that peculiar one where the citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth and so that you will be leading people by your aroma or maybe it'll be a stench for a while okay to others who are not being saved it says in the word of God and others who are coming to Christ it's an aroma okay until we see him face to face okay so in other words it's not about the main idea about holiness isn't about moral purity that's not what holiness means it means apartness it means apartness we are set apart for a specific specific person purpose because God is separate from creation Okay, He is not a part of. He created everything. Okay? And everything is upheld by Him. Alright? So He is other. He is other. 
totally other. In other words, he is separate. He is different from his creation, both in his essential nature and in the perfection of his attributes. He is other. He is totally apart from us, okay? But instead, this is the coolest part, we couldn't even reach him because he's so other, right? But instead of building a wall around his apartness because he's so other and so separate because he's the one who creates everything, holds it all together from him, through him, and to him are all things, okay? What he's done is, instead, he's called us to come to him. Come on, I love you. Come on, I love you. Come on, I want to share my apartness with you. I want to share my apartness with you. And so he says, come on, be holy as I'm holy. And we do that through Jesus Christ. He wants to share his apartness with us lowly creation that he created. Sit and meditate on that for a day. He wants to share that apartness with us, okay? And when we, and this, and this is when I'm going to share, stop then, when we fail to see God's apartness, when we fail to see his separateness, we begin to believe that God is just another superman. Because we take what we can fathom, our finite brain, and we put it on him. And then we go, oh, he's a super one of me. Oh, no, 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 no. He's, I'm made in his image, but trust me, he's nothing like me, right? He is so apart. He is so separate from me, okay? Then we don't see his love as holy love, okay? Or his justice as holy justice, and so on with all of his attributes, okay? And so holiness is not some, something so much that we possess, Okay, hang on to this with me. Holiness isn't so something so much that we possess as it's something that possesses us. Okay? It's not something that we possess. Holiness possesses us. That apartness that he's saying, come on, share it with me. Be holy because I'm holy. Come on, come on, come on, do that. Okay? And so... I'm going to leave you with these questions for tonight where I want you to go home and I want you to think about this this weekend as you're reading through 1 Peter. I want you to ask yourself, have you put limits on what God can do with your life? Have you put limits on what God can do with your life? And in what ways? In what ways? And you know what, just, just when you're asking yourself this, just allow yourself just to write stream of consciousness very honestly, very openly. <clears throat> and as you're writing, ask the Holy Spirit to direct you. Just let your pen go. It's so sweet. You don't have to, you guys, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be spelled correctly. Just, just allow your pen to go. And ask the Holy Spirit, you know, if I put limits on my life, you know, what God what God wants to do with my life and in what ways. And secondly, what part of your life is God asking you for? And I mostly mean in conduct. What part of your life is God asking you for? And then, will you give it to him? Will you give it to him? Because you could just answer, well, this is what he's asking me for, but it's still mine. You know, will you give it to him? And then thirdly, lastly, have you ever had a sudden overwhelming revelation of the true nature of God? Have you ever had a sudden overwhelming revelation of the true nature of God? Ask him. Ask him to reveal himself. Ask him. He's the self-revealing God. Ask him. What is he going to say? No. Have you ever had a sudden, overwhelming revelation of the true nature of God? Ask him. This doesn't mean you live in the emotion. This doesn't mean you live in that moment. Ask him to reveal himself more and more to you. He's the self-revealing God. And when you're walking through, 
First um, Peter and whatever devotions you're doing and you're reading the book on Peter, those of you who have it, I promise you, these you, know, you might be do, making lunch for your kids. You might be driving in the car and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it could be something in creation. It could be whatever because you want to be practicing right his presence, right? And so it, you know, it could be anything or, you know, what part of your life is God asking you for. You might be like, you know what, I, I don't even know, Lord. You know, you know, I have never even thought about that. You know, reveal that to me. Okay. <laughs> Not a problem, Margo. Thanks for asking. That's excellent. Right? And then, and then as you're writing it down, it might not come to you at that point. And then you're going through the week and it's like, oh, you know what? It's that that I want, Margo. It's that that you did right there. I don't want you to do that anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Great. I have those three questions on my mirror in my powder room. I put it up and every morning I say, Lord, show me this. These are the types of questions that never end. They, they never end. I mean, you know, you can ask yourself this next year and it will be, you, because you're becoming more and more like it, they never end. And he reveals himself more and more and more. It's not like, you know, there's a right and wrong to this, these answers. It's like, Lord, show me. Show me. I want to be more holy like you are holy. Right? And it's just, it's just so sweet. The intimacy is just so, so sweet. So next week we're going to go into the motivation for godly living. Um, and which is which is in uh, 18, 18 through twenty one, and then we're going to go into how we are to love one another. And that sounds sort of cliche, not the way First Peter tells, not the way Peter tells you. Oh no, I mean he wants you to love one another. Okay, not just like hey how are you? I mean he wants you to sacrifice agape love for one another. We're going to learn how to do that. <laughs>